Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Ellen Greenberg, a designer and now owner of Quick Culture, a global art tour travel company. Set against the backdrop of the 1970s women's movement, Ellen's realization she wanted to be more than just a wife and mother becomes the catalyst for her first divorce. This decision leads her 3,000 miles away from her former life as wife and mother to a new life as a single mother and working woman. Please welcome Ellen Greenberg. Welcome, Ellen, to Phoenix Tales. I ask one question to get the conversation started, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? I've had many instances of moving to parent dying to having a child that had special needs. Right. So if you could find that one inflection point that might have catapulted your life in a totally different direction, which one of those would it be? I think it would be my first divorce. Okay. So can you tell us just a little background about that and and at what time period of your life that had occurred? Women during that time were going through a, a revolution at that time. It was during the Vietnam War. Women were doing more things than they were quote unquote supposed to do. And I thought my life trajectory was to get married, have children, and that was that. And I realized after a couple of years of being married that that wasn't the only thing. I love my children, but I wasn't meant to stay at home and be the dutiful little wife. So I went back to school. And I went for interior design. I Hmm. did some fashion design. And my husband did not like it. I had children. I had waited three years while we were married to have my first child. And it just became increasingly apparent to me that he wanted the 1950s housewife. And I wasn't it. And I was changing. I was changing. To put it in kind of historical context, this is during the women's liberation movement, right? So Helen Reddy and all of that. And when you look back on the progression of your life in sync or, you know, aligned with the feminist movement, how do you see that decision affecting your own trajectory if you had to kind of put it on the map of, you know, where feminism started from? You know, it's interesting because it sort of seeped into me because I was not the kind of person that was a marcher. I didn't do any of those outwardly feminist kind of things. I did read a lot. Bella Abzorg and Gloria Steinem. So when you go back to that moment of realizing that perhaps you were not your husband's ideal and the marriage was not what you ultimately wanted, 
how challenging was that to proceed with divorce with children involved at that period? I'm assuming that family law was very different back in the late 70s compared to today. Oh, oh, it was terrible. It was terrible because he took it as a personal affront. And it was in Pennsylvania where they didn't have community property. He fought me for custody. That was the worst thing I ever went through. He didn't want the marriage to end. He tried to do everything nasty. And like that was going to make me stay, even to the point of saying that he was going to commit suicide if I left him. And I remember telling my attorney, and it scared me, but she said to me, Ellen, step over the body. (laughs) Sorry, that's hilarious. And she said, he's not going to do anything. He's using every tool that he has. Step over the body. I stayed in the house. And uh, he got an apartment close by. So I stayed in the house and then we sold the house. And I moved in with my parents for a little bit. And then I decided to move to California. Now, thank goodness, in our divorce agreement, there was nothing in there that said you can't move away. And that was the one lucky shot I had. That that was not part of our uh, divorce agreement. So I was able to move. So you moved to... L.A. And what did right. you do when you arrived in L.A. with two young children and divorced? Well, let's see. I had money from the house and I thought that I would go into the film business. I had done a lot of commercials with in Philadelphia and it, that's why I moved to California. I know that Philadelphia wasn't the mecca of the film industry. So I first came to L.A. and um, I started to try to get work. And I thought of everything that I could to make myself stand out from the teams of people that wanted to be in the movie business. So the one thing that I did that got attention is I went to the pet store and I got, you know, where they would have the goldfish and they put them in a plastic bag Mm -hmm. and take them home. I don't know if they still have that, but I took a fish and I attached my resume to it. I hired a friend of mine to get dressed up like the old-fashioned messenger people that would be in hotel. And I wrote on the front of the resume, fishing for a job. Oh, clever. And uh, that got attention. And I, that got me my first job here in L.A. So going back to the divorce and then moving 3,000 miles, what was sort of the emotional impact on your children? That is a loaded question. I think one of my children still feels the emotional impact of it. And he's 46 years old. You know, the grass always looks greener on the other side, I'd say, until it has to be mowed. (laughs) And Philadelphia, and you should know this, Yoriana, because you live there. It's a cradle to grave city. People yes. do not, they don't move. They don't move out of the city. I felt it was my only choice, you know, to become another person, to improve my life. And I really just thought the kid, you know, when you're 20, you can conquer the world. You can do anything. And that they would be fine as long as I loved them and, and cared and nurtured them. And I thought their father was terrible. He did some really rotten things to that. 
So when you kind of look at the thread, because it's interesting that we started off putting your marriage or the dissolution of your marriage in the context of feminism and the changing roles of women in society. I'm assuming even though you were living in L.A., which which is certainly much more liberal than uh, suburban Philadelphia ever could be, that you were a single mom. And then more importantly, you were a single mom who had a full time career. So how did you navigate that? And were there challenges kind of imbued with the realities of trying to do it all? You can reinvent yourself in L.A. That's the, that's the good and the bad <laughs> being in L.A. And I looked at it as a challenge. I was happy living here. There was not one moment where I said, that's it. I'm packing up my bag. I'm going home. The challenges were more with the kids. But I think if their father would have fought a little harder and made it more difficult once they were here, they didn't hear much from him. And uh, that was sad. I think it would have been more challenging for me if he would have fought me. Do you think you being a full-time working mom had an impact on them in terms of feeling different from the other kids, perhaps? No, I don't think they felt different from the other kids. I thought they wanted me more at home because even when I was home, I was distracted a lot by what I had to do. I was um, sort of driven wanting to succeed. And I remarried. And I thought this was going to solve everything. Because he was a nice guy, much younger than I was, but uh, never been married. I really don't think he knew what he was getting into when he married me with the two boys. And they were difficult and, and needy. I don't think he had a tough time handling that. And then I got pregnant immediately. He wanted a child of his own, which I couldn't blame him. So I got pregnant and I was in my late 30s. Once I had my daughter, that marriage fell apart because he just totally ignored the boys. He said he had his daughter. That was it. He ignored the boy. They were too much work. They were needy. One had learning disabilities. So it became another challenge because I I had said to myself, no matter what happens, I'm never getting a second divorce. So how did you navigate that challenge or those emotions that you must have experienced because this was now divorce number two in terms of questioning your own judgment, I suppose, and looking at other human beings. Oh, yeah. To this day, I say to myself, I'm a bad picker. That's what, (laughs) you know, both husbands remarried and had stayed married. So I just really didn't pick the right people for me. And I finally came to the conclusion that I didn't pick them. They picked me and I agreed. That's how it was. How I navigated it was um, not beating myself up over the fact that I made a second mistake. And my second husband, not a bad guy. Of course, don't ask my son that, but really wasn't a bad guy. He was ill-prepared to walk into a ready-made family. And then when he had his own child, it sort of overtook him because we still send each other birthday cards and they care about one another. You know, we had share a daughter together. And so we get along. I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're friendly. So you said something really interesting because it's hard. It's a hard thing for women to do, which was that you didn't beat yourself up about the fact that 
you had now another divorce. Can you tell us how you did that? Because I know for most women, as I always like to say, we have the Greek chorus, right, in our heads of, you know, pointing out all the things, all the deficiencies or what we view as deficiencies within ourselves. And depending on the moment in time and day, the <laughs> Greek chorus can be quite loud or, or muted, right? So yeah. what is it within you that you are able to say that to yourself and believe it and keep moving forward? One of the things that I've tried to teach my children is something that I've learned of how to cope. Comes down to a lot of, you know, what kind of coping skills you have. And when the second divorce happened, and it was pretty awful as far as feelings. I'm not saying there wasn't the anger that the first one had. This was just sad. I realized then that I was never going to let any one thing be the most important thing in my life. Because if you do that, then, and that something goes wrong, you fall apart totally. So my business wasn't going to be the only thing in my life. If I got married again or I had a boyfriend, he wasn't going to be the only thing in my life. Even my children, of course, the loss of them would be devastating. But I tried to put compartmentalize that not any one thing was it or those going to get me. And I think that's how I've survived is by uh, having many things be important to me and not any one thing be the it thing. So when you go back to the second divorce and now being single again, I'm assuming that your career was firmly established at this point. Was there any other challenge beyond the personal and kind of the the ripple effect of that, that might've made you sit back and say, hmm, maybe this is a moment of inflection. I should pivot and maybe shift focus of my life and including the career. I don't think I had a conscious shift. I think, like I said before, I tried to move things around in my life that one thing wasn't as important as another thing. And they all had their importance, but they weren't going to, something fell through the, fell on the ground or I fell over. That wasn't going to do it. You know, it wasn't going to, what's going to get me. I just had that not going to get me kind of attitude. And it was hard that raising one son that had learning disabilities. And I think the worst thing that happened is that when I did have the third child, this is while I was married to the second husband. My first husband coerced my son who had the learning disabilities to move back to Philadelphia and live with him for four years. And during those four years, I did not see him. They wouldn't allow me to see him. They would have him hang up on the phone. He didn't accept gifts from me. They were returned. That was probably the worst part uh, of going through the divorce and having another child and having one just completely cut off. How old was he at that time? He was uh, 13. So from 13 to 17, he lived with his dad. He actually, it's all formative years, you know. At the end of those four years, he moved back here and he didn't want to move back here. So all of a sudden, he calls me up and he says, I'm coming home. 
I didn't even recognize his voice because it had changed from age 13 to 17. I did not know what I was getting and what was going to be coming home to me. But I called him every single week, whether they hung up on, made him hang up on me. And when he got home, he was fine. Now, my other son had been alone with me for four years. He had the rejection of his father because his father only wanted one kid, didn't want him. And it was a very difficult time to go through. Very difficult. More importantly, what was that like to have your son come back? Those four years are probably the most formative, right? Come back now almost as an adult. It was very hard. I didn't know him at all. And then he would start to tell me stories of things that happened. Now, if he hasn't seen his father, he's now 50. From the time he came back, I actually made a deal with my, I called the double X, that if he would have a relationship with his kid, that I would forgive all the back child support. And uh, that was that important to me that he had a relationship with them. So he came out to LA and we went to a therapist together, Aldous. He had never even told his wife that he was coming out the kid told her he was going to a business meeting. That was the last time they ever saw him. He never came out again. He's still living. He did come out once after that, but they have not seen him in 15 years. And have you been able to reestablish the bond with your son who lived in Philadelphia during those four years? Yes, very much so. We have a very good relationship. I know that you said you didn't beat yourself up or you prevented yourself from feeling bad about the second divorce. I'm assuming that the emotional fallout when it involves your children is a little different. So could you kind of pull apart the nuances and the complications for you emotionally in terms of feeling a certain amount of guilt, perhaps, or regret about what happened and how it impacted them? Yeah, well, I do have regrets about devoting so much time to my work. That was my sublimating, my own feelings of uh, failure. But, um, you know, and the fact that I couldn't be a father and a mother. I mean, they had two fathers that rejected them. That was really terrible. I don't know how I did it. (laughs) To tell you the truth. You know, I'm really curious. You just do it. You know, keep on trucking, keep on moving, keep on walking. (laughs) You just keep on doing it. You know, you have no choice. And where does that come from? Because when you talk about the impetus for the first divorce and you taking on the traditional role of wife and housewife and mother, the sense of perseverance is not one that most people associated with women of that time period, even though many of them were. So where do you think that comes from for you? I mean, is it that it was already in your nature and that was part of the reason why the divorce felt right for you because you knew that he was going to hold you back or make you not realize your full self? Or was it part of just all of the events that you went through that kind of toughened you? Oh, I think it is a lot of the events that I went through. 
when I found out that my older child had learning disabilities, that was devastating for me. He had these problems that I couldn't help him with. It was beyond my skill set. That was at a time period where sort of learning disabilities was not in the forefront of kind of, you know, parental discussions and cultural discussion, right? No, it wasn't. I wanted to help him. So I wanted him to go to the best school that he'd go to for the problem that he had. And his father was more ashamed. And then can you kind of go back to among all of these challenges that you faced, was there one that almost brought you to your knees? I mean, the one that where you really said, I don't know if I can do this, right? With the second divorce, that brought me to my knees. And even though it wasn't an angry one or full of rage, it left me with a lot of self-doubt. And how did you overcome that self-doubt? Or do you still carry some of that doubt with you now? I still carry some of it. Yeah, it, it doesn't devastate me or stop me from doing things. But I do carry it because no one likes to think that they made bad choices in life. You know, and uh, I'm only human. So that's how I get myself out of it. I walk around saying, I'm only human. That's <laughs> not and I'm not two for woman. I'm only human. And I don't know. I uh, do the best I can. And you just try to keep on going until I hit the wall. But I always I'm going to keep on going until I hit a wall. And is that advice something that you wish somebody had said to you during those periods in your life? Good question. I wish that somebody would have said to me, don't make anything that important. So you wish that somebody had said to you that you had the power within you to make these choices, right? That you didn't just yeah. have to go along because it was societal norm or expectation or desire and the part of your partner. I think a lot of women growing up when I did, we had our foot in each camp. You know, it was uh, a women's lip and then it was being like our mothers were in the 50s. And I sort of feel badly that I, I don't, I really didn't know my mother that well because they kept to themselves. I wish I would have known my mother as a woman, not as a mother. I see that my mother was sort of suppressed because that was the time. I think she wanted to do other things, but my father wouldn't let her because the women didn't do those things then. You know, they, they stayed at home and... Uh, I think she had an urging in her to do something else. And how beautiful that you as her daughter did, right? And took the leap of faith. And that takes a whole lot of courage. So that is a great place to end. I'm going to ask the last question. So if you could go back in time and sit down with one person, historical or personal, who would that person be and why? Well, I think it would be Mark Twain. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> but um, I read all books and all his witticisms, and they still hold true today. I just think he'd be fascinating to get into his head. And I would hope that he would be honest with me about all the questions that I would ask. And I'd hope that I would be able to ask him questions <laughs> and not just be dumbfounded. Well, thank you, Ellen. I think that you are truly inspirational and 
I think your story is amazing. As I've said to you before, I thought of this podcast because of you and your story. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. And then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.